That's you know, exactly people it. all of one backgrounds don't all have the same opinion. It's like when people are like, I mean, I just don't understand why women can't make up your minds. I'm like, well, because we're not all the same robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome to I Might Be Wrong. I am afraid, due to technical difficulties, that Henry is unable to join us this week. Fortunately for us, we have a very special guest. London-based burlesque icon and legend, star of London's House of Burlesque, Tempest Rose. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you for the gorgeous intro. <laughs> Lovely to be here. Ask, I didn't actually ask you how you wanted to be intro. <laughs> you guessed correctly. Lots of nice, uh, <laughs> nice titles and flattering words will make any diva happy. <laughs> so you and I have known each other for a little while now. For those listeners that aren't aware, I do photography as a fairly serious hobby. And when I was very early on in that discovery of, of my photography styles and what I enjoyed I was looking for more people to do portrait photography of and a mutual friend I was trying to work out who it was but a mutual friend suggested that I should get in contact with this lady called Tempest Rose who was always looking for portrait photography for promotional work and that kind of stuff and we got in touch with each other and ended up I think that was shooting in Volupte Lounge wasn't it? yes that was the first one we've done some great shoots there's many a house of burlesque poster with your gorgeous work on it (laughs) yeah it's been it's been a lot of fun it's it's been fascinating seeing some of the old images re-emerge over time where I feel like my photography has significantly moved on but obviously that particular image or style of image suits what you're trying to do with the with the posters yeah I think especially with the first shoot Because I was probably inspired with that one directly by some of my burlesque heroines, it just retains this really lovely, personable, charming, but glamorous setup, which works so well for posters. Well, I I really love those, but I totally felt like I was fortunate with luck on the lighting rather than really knowing 100% what I was doing. I had some ideas with lighting and some some tricks that I'd worked out by that point but there was still learning massively from that point to to future shoots and so I kind of look back on those with fondness of you sort of allowed me to just come in and bumble my way through it but we got some good images out of the end of it because you were patient with with what we were trying to do <laughs> I think you're underestimating my comfortableness. That's not really a word, but it, but it is now. Uh, we're being photographed in that context, I think. <laughs> One of the things, of course, with burlesque, you also have to learn how to model properly. And I'm still working it out now, was working it out then. So I think we were both kind of sussing it out and created some really lovely stuff. I think also, which is nice, in both of our early shoots, we shot at Madame Jojo's and Velupte neither of those venues exist anymore but was absolutely vital to the birth of burlesque in London and in the UK that's so nice to have those pictures right and that's something that I cannot underestimate how grateful I am to have been able to have shot in those incredible venues before they were closed down such beautiful spot particularly Jojo's that golden red background thing is just incredible (laughs) 
they're beautiful. You'll be heartbroken to know that apparently when they took back Madame Jojo's, uh, they ripped out all of that original gold um, interior design work. But the owner of, of the place when we ran there still has one of them in her garden. And I was like, if you ever want to rehome that, I will find somewhere for it. Don't ever throw it away, please. Yeah, just get your name straight in on the top of the list for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she knows. <laughs> anyway, so we didn't we didn't get you in here to talk about your uh, your burlesque career because you have plenty of other avenues for that. We have got you in, of course, to talk about music that has inspired you over the years and the choice that you sent to me is an interesting one because it's not one that I think I would have necessarily picked as something that I would associate with you. So you're always surprising me. Who have you decided we will talk about this week? I chose to look at Holes Live Through This. That's a really interesting album to pick because I sort of missed out on the grunge era the first time round because I was probably a bit young and we've mentioned on the podcast before my tastes in my early to mid-teens were very poppy so really not the right style for me at that time but even when I came back to it really the bands that I got into from a grunge perspective were Nirvana and Pearl Jam which are the kind of classic two that everyone knows but this album is seriously underestimated isn't it? Yeah, I agree. And it wasn't until I had to consider albums that had influenced me when I was younger, when you asked me to be on this podcast, and I then re-listened to it, because I haven't listened to it for years and years and years. In my life, I kind of have a pre-Tempest period and a post-Tempest period, and it is <laughs> like living, having lived through two lifetimes. So whole probably doesn't have artistically an obvious synergy with burlesque, although I will get into it how it's influenced me in that way but what struck me is actually how poppy it is or maybe pop isn't quite the right word how melodic and kind of beautiful and elegant a lot of it is in a very accessible way which hadn't really occurred to me at the time nor to my family who had to live through very loud <laughs> Courtney Love screaming I've just had a memory of my elder sister who was not into this type of music at all just over and over saying I made my bed I'll lie in it like in a kind of <laughs> why are you listening to this absolute drivel type voice <laughs> it is one of those things that I think people that don't really like the way that grunge sounds from a lyrical perspective in terms of the singing shouting thing they miss the melodic nature of a lot of the music if you listen to the really really classic grunge albums like this one like nevermind like the the pearl jam albums they have a lot of beautiful melodic layers to the music it's not just thrashy punk guitars there's there's a lot of other stuff going on in there and you're right I went back and listened to this and I hadn't for a long time because my main experience of Hole is Celebrity Skin and really only the singles from Celebrity Skin mm, such it's a great Celebrity album as well Skin, yeah. it is it's it's a very different album it's a much more of an alt-rock album versus the pure grunge that you get on on this album I have to say there's almost notes of hopefulness in the music that don't necessarily come through in the lyrics, but that's there much more than the almost just depressive despair that you get on the Nirvana albums. Yeah, absolutely. I was surprised at how 
uplifting and you know I'll come back to the word elegant again within the genre I found the album and I think a lot of that will resonate when we move on to talking about you know the controversy of who wrote parts of it and the kind of the rage expressed behind it yeah I was surprised if you compare it to their first album I mean that is much more raw much angrier there's it's less sophisticated which of course makes sense for a first album but the development of style and then all the way through to celebrity skin which to me is an album that I love but it's very much more produced it's very much more immediately accessible it's very poppy I think it's a great album but I I like live through this is pure rage but fused with this really beautiful quality to it that I think is quite unusual we touched on this a little bit with PJ Harvey when we talked about her in the last episode where elegance is a really good word for it there's this elegance of the music and it's not overproduced it's not polished poppy overproduced sound it's an ability with your music and your instruments to make a sound that is sophisticated and smart without necessarily having it be perfect. There are moments in various songs where Courtney's voice cracks a bit or there's a slight off on one of the notes that they've left in there because it feels that raw energy and it brings that to the fore rather than, you know, feeling like, oh, someone made a mistake there. Yeah, and another thing that's really surprised me that was sort of maybe lost in my 13 year old self is what a great singer she is and like I say not great in a traditional sense but just great as a vocal talent it's difficult to make those sounds even the ugly sounds require actually quite a bit of practice and craft and certainly to do them professionally over and over again and those noises are some of my favorite bits of it because it's where you get the pure emotion coming through and I really admire that my voice doesn't make those sounds and for those who don't know me I do sing a lot as part of my work it's kind of been conditioned out of me so to be able to make them as a professional singer but then to be able to sing beautifully and lyrically at the same time actually is quite an amazing skill and Courtney Love probably doesn't get the recognition she deserves for having in my opinion a great voice for channeling emotion and channeling anger and channeling art oh yeah it's it's an incredibly powerful voice which I think is part of the reason why this was such a successful album and it is very highly rated we can't really talk about this album without talking about some of the surrounding things that were happening obviously Mm. anyone who knows anything about rock in the early 90s will have heard of Nirvana will know who Kurt Cobain is will know his relationship with Courtney Love just to be clear we are not going to talk on this episode or any other episodes about the ridiculous suggestion that Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain (laughs) I, I don't think we should give that any credence at all But we should talk about the relationship that they had in terms of musically influencing each other. And obviously, you and I, before the podcast, briefly discussed this. Did Kurt write all the songs? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know you well enough to know that you're not asking that question in seriousness. I find it interesting that nobody ever wonders if Courtney Love wrote a lot of Nevermind. (laughs) I wonder why, Rich. I wonder why I've never read that. (laughs) I think if you... I can't pull apart technically reasons why but the thing as a young girl and as a grown woman listening to this and I'd be really interested to hear what you think is 
it's such a feminine album to me like the rage on it is so particularly female and the way that she both is angry and kind of self-harming but powerful it's what my friends would probably call very witchy which means that it's this really raw wild feminine quality about it that I'm not sure a man could replicate (laughs) maybe he could but I just it seems a nonsense to me to make the suggestion that she wasn't in charge of her own art and obviously the other members of Hole as well where part of the creative process too but it's a nonsense that's such a, a female dripping album it's very femme that's one of my big reasons for thinking it's ridiculous also I don't know I think people might find it hard to imagine that a relationship could contain two incredibly talented people and that two incredibly talented people would be drawn to each other's talents Uh, Yeah, exactly. And respect each other's talents. And of course, within a creative dynamic, you're always going to talk about your work and you're always going to bounce ideas off each other. But that certainly isn't the case. It doesn't mean that one therefore does the other person's job. And like I said before, I've never heard of this suggested the other way. Hmm. Well, I did a little bit of digging because I knew that you would want to talk about these kinds of things <laughs> as part of this as part of this podcast. And one of the quotes that I found from Courtney Love, probably a decade on from that album being released, was I'd be proud as hell to say he wrote something on it, but I wouldn't let him. It was too Yoko for me. It's like, no fucking way, man. I've got a good band. I don't fucking need your help. And anyone who's spent time looking at Courtney Love, looking at who she is as a human being, like she's an angry, stubborn woman. I could see her very much taking that that attitude towards Kurt getting any sort of recognition for the album. Now, that's not to say that they didn't have influences on each other. And he, from what I've read, provided some of the backing vocals. He turned up midway through recording the album and she asked him to do some some vocal work and he said well I don't know the song so how can I and she just said well just be involved a little bit and I don't know I didn't check to see whether he was credited with anything and you can't really hear him vocally on the album if you listen there's there's not much of a hint there but I Mm. think going back to the the sound the lyrics definitely from a lyrical perspective there's no way that man wrote those lyrics (laughs) (laughs) for starters if you if you you listen to asking for it that was apparently inspired by the experience of stage diving and then being groped and having people trying to rip her clothes off and there's lines in there like was she asking for it was she asking nice if she was asking for it did she ask you twice and anyone who spent time looking at whether it's fictional material or articles written or feminist literature that will resonate from a very female perspective right very few guys would even think to write in that way yeah I agree so much of it the album is like that my probably favorite track although it's hard to choose is the first one Violet and that has repetitions of go on take everything take everything I want you to and again I think that's a very female type of rage it's kind of polite and provocative and angry all rolled into one and they get what they want but they never want it again I don't know for me they're just it's a very very female perspective Listening to it again, I was reminded of that bit in the fall. I don't know if this is a very random tangent for you, where Jennifer Aniston 
is angry because the mother of the serial killer sorry guys spoiler alert but it's been out for a really long time talks about (laughs) (laughs) how angry she is that they haven't realized that the, the mother would try and take her own life and harm her children because of this understanding that she has that women often turn their rage and their upset internally they turn it in on themselves whereas traditionally we talk about men turning their anger outwards and harming those around them women turn their anger inwards and for me there's just so much of that in this album in a way that I think again I'm just not sure a male writer could or even want to go into and I think it's something that she's done subconsciously even I'm not sure she's sat down to write that narrative she's just written about her experiences it's interesting you raised the crowd surfing because that was the instant I was actually trying to find earlier yeah which must have had a massive impact on her hugely a horrible experience it was but the fascinating thing for me about that was that it didn't stop her from doing it like she would still go and crowd surf it was part of her persona and part of her act and that lyric and that song feels almost like her taking that power back and berating her own audience for doing this stuff and putting the power back in her own hands to still do that stuff if she wants to do it Hmm, interesting i hadn't considered that yeah that that was my take on it anyway but at least working through that anger rather than allowing it to to dominate her because she's never seemed like the kind of person that's just going to sit back and take it right no 100% not again I think it resonates with this slight idea of self-harm and like you say taking that power but it's self-destructive they're really interesting strands that I think exist in the album and would have existed in her at the time presumably and maybe even now I don't know what she's up to now there's obviously a lot of self-destruction going on from her personally from the people around her it's it's fairly common knowledge that that Seattle scene was heavily drug abuse heavily alcohol abuse led in terms of the way the creativity was done there obviously Kurt was a long time heroin addict she's struggled with drugs and alcohol her entire career has never seemed to really shake that I don't I don't know whether she's managed to get cleaner in the more recent years but even probably 10 years ago there was press around her being heavily struggling with those things and she's talked about it pretty openly I mean she's in interviews and things like that there's there are pieces where she talks about that and I think some of the stuff in this album talks about her struggles but it's again a different way of talking about it to the way that Kurt's lyrics deal with it in the Nirvana albums where it's much more of a an introverted and depressed and suicidal viewpoint while she does reference suicide and those kind of things in her lyrics it's much different in terms of the way that she verbalizes those those things she she is more aware of the people around her that are having an influence on her that she's having an influence on whereas Kurt's lyrics are very introspective and just himself and his internal struggles What are you saying, Rich, that a male artist will be self-obsessed in this moment, whereas a woman might look at the world around her? (laughs) I mean, yeah, possibly. (laughs) Yeah, I'm nodding along. I'm nodding along to what you're saying, 100%. I think uh, we haven't really talked about also she's a mother at the time. And Plump, I think, is one of her most one of the songs that most overtly references motherhood and, and struggling with motherhood. And I think she must have suffered from postnatal depression again within all of this we probably have a lot of drug use going on which obviously will affect mental health 
I, I love the idea that she's brave enough to write about motherhood in this imperfect way because again that's still a massive taboo for women to go into I think that's quite an important subject matter within the album as well I went away and looked at the lyrics because I was trying to understand why I was hearing these kind of cracks of hope shining through in the album and lyrically I don't know that that's where it's coming from that you say there are pieces around motherhood and milk and that kind of stuff which initially I thought might be the case but actually she talks about things in those lyrics as well so soured milk and spoiled milk and all these kind of things as part of that so I don't again I think you're right the the take on that is more of a struggling with motherhood rather than that being a crack of hope in her life I do think it's more the music that provides those kind of hopeful notes but yeah the the milk and motherhood thing repeats in a number of the tracks in here and it's really interesting because I think a lot of a lot of artists wouldn't necessarily bring that into their work but she's very honest about the things in her life and those are the things that drive what she writes about yeah and I kind of really like the fact that she hasn't fallen into this again very acceptable female narrative of my baby is the hope of my life my baby is now what's changed my life and given it meaning and that's a very wonderful thing to feel but every woman doesn't feel that it's very much part of the good mother trope I think the kind of baby redemption narrative so I kind of love Courtney Love for not allowing herself to go down that road or not feeling pressured to go down that road and not being afraid to kind of delve into the darker side of what she's feeling I think re-listening to this album so much of it encapsulates problematic femininity and when I say problematic femininity it's all the parts of being a woman that you're not supposed to feel and you're certainly not supposed to express and listening to that as a young teenager was really really powerful even if I probably didn't know it at the time so I thought it was interesting that you brought up it was a surprising choice given that you know me in my current incarnation as Miss Tempest Rose but actually listening to it I could see a lot of reasons why I loved that album and connected that to why I love the current career that I have I keep saying current like I'm going to stop doing it. It's not true. Um, Don't panic. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, one of the first things that drew me to Courtney Love, because it was Nirvana that I was a fan of first, and I did listen to and love artists like uh, bands like Pearl Jam, was her fashion. And the connection to what she wore to her music is incredibly strong. It is at once provocative and feminine, but packaged up in a really aggressive, violent, fuck you type way. It's it's punk. Uh, It's punk mixed with baby doll dresses and Mary Jane shoes and I really fell in love with that and we all used to dress like her all the time much to my parents absolute horror you know we all used to dress like Courtney Love (laughs) and listen to her music and there was a a weird power that we must have found in expressing ourselves in this kind of messed up version of acceptable femininity and that is so inherent in her music as well and it's probably the part of me that loved that is the part of me that loved discovering burlesque because what first interested me in burlesque wasn't the kind of genteel vintage side of it it was the punk feminist side of it so that's an angle that I want to explore do you think that you had already started down that journey of rebelling against the norms and being more feminist and becoming the strong feminist voice that you are now or do you think that this album was part of the influence to start going down that route Mm, great question I think it was part of the seeds of going down that route because 
I think this album in that period of my life definitely planted the seeds of my feminist self. But at the time, feminism wasn't really a word we were using. I like the idea of powerful women, but I was still very much one of those girls into my very late teens who fell into accepting the silly narrative of I don't really get on with other women. I'm not really like other girls. I get on so much better with men than I do with other women. And it took a long time for me to really understand where that came from and to dismantle that and to realize that it's simply not true. (laughs) It's part of (laughs) that kind of patriarchal narrative. So it's not such an obvious link, but definitely there are so many connections with what I loved and learned from watching Courtney Love and dressing like her and understanding. I think it really helped me understand the power of my femininity and sexuality at that age. Because that is what I overridingly remember from that period of my life. You suddenly get to an age where you have power, but it's a really dangerous power. So you're working out how to wield it in a way that isn't destructive. And Hole and Courtney Love allowed a way to play with that and to watch somebody else play with that. It's a really dangerous dynamic, which hopefully as gender imbalances break down, that really explosive part of puberty hopefully will be less so but that is the overriding narrative I remember from being a teenager yeah and and I guess that's the thing is it's having more of a range of voices that you can understand and align with and appeal to your teenage self Henry and I have talked about this in terms of being hormonal angry teenage boys there are certain bands certain music that started to appeal to us because of those things and as much as anything we were weird and geeky and slightly awkward and so the the cool kids music didn't make sense to us in the same way that bands like Nirvana you know some of the more quirky like pulp uh Britpop Mm. bands that kind of stuff I loved Oasis and things like Roll With It at the time but I wasn't that cocky arrogant walk down the road punch someone in the face type kid <laughs> you weren't I a was, lad you weren't I a was lad not, I was not a lad <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think one of the great things about PJ Harvey whole other artists like that and there and there have been various angry female voices as they tend to get pigeonholed over the decades you know you go back to the Janis Joplin's of the world there have always been those voices out there they've always been slightly ostracized and part of me hopes that the way that music has gone now there's so much music out there that's it's always possible to find a voice that you can fall in love with from that perspective I just don't know that it's as easy as it was then because obviously Nirvana were everywhere grunge was everywhere Hole were huge in their own way at that time as well we've gone down a rabbit hole again haven't we (laughs) (laughs) it's a good one though how we found music compared to how young people or anybody finds music then was so different and I wonder if for people particularly young people nowadays there's the same thing of you know when I used to say to somebody what music do you like I wasn't really actually interested in what they listened to I was trying to work out who are you are we friends are we part of the same tribe what's your identity what do you believe in and I don't know because it's so much easier to chop and change between musical styles where we're aware of so many more musical styles and also because 
we don't listen to albums in the same way so I think you don't necessarily get all the nuances of an artist whether that still really exists anymore what do you think we've covered bits of this in the past where I, I, I'm of the belief that genres don't really exist anymore there are still bands that sit very cleanly in the lines for certain genres and certain styles but the vast majority of of artists pull in from so many different influences these days I mean, if you go back to the 90s we we talked about this with the weezer episode with mark where weezer at the time they they started to emerge in that very early 90s there was country old man rock like springsteen and grunge and that was it and weezer with this almost brand new genre but so many different genres have been explored since then because you think if you're writing music in the 90s your your influences are going to be the 70s and maybe the 80s and maybe you're looking to do something a bit outside that but nowadays you've got 50 60 70 years of contemporary modern music to listen to and pick different bits of and you get so many artists that that work across those those boundaries we talked on the Kano episode about the fact that Damon Albarn from Blur has worked with him on multiple different strands so on his albums on Gorilla's albums people like to put stuff in boxes right but genres as a way to put things in musical boxes don't don't really exist in the way they did in the 90s Mm. well subculture doesn't really exist and I think actually there's something quite sad about that to bring it back to what you originally asked or we were originally talking about kind of quote unquote angry women and you know it occurred to me to be fair although there have been angry women around for a long time in music Courtney Love is probably the only one I had access to based on what people around me were listening to so we all religiously watched Top of the Pops and then you had to go looking for anything else and it just so happened that my best friend at the time who was half American was obsessed with Nirvana and so we went down this rabbit hole together but everything else I was surrounded by was very palatable pop not without its amazing icons Madonna huge influence on my life but I guess Courtney Love was my angry woman the woman who I saw in pop culture who allowed me to express an anger in a way that otherwise I probably might not have known what to do with and having to find her kind of made it more special yeah (laughs) it it adds it adds a level of ownership and i think people who are really into their music whatever kind of music they're into there's always this feeling of ownership over things so it's it's this anger that you now see with instagram influencers wearing nirvana t-shirts or metallica t-shirts and they've got no idea who the bands are they've never listened to the music and so that makes (laughs) it is but it makes fans of those bands angry that there isn't that recognition of the talent behind why this thing is an iconic thing. Mm. Part of me wonders whether we'll see that really exist over the next 10, 15 years, because like we say it's music so disposable. Now you listen to a, a couple of tracks of an album and throw it away. Now I am an old man, so I still do the listen to an album over and over and over thing, but we've covered this in the past. You're not, going to a record store and listening to the one the listening posts and then paying 10 pounds which was a month's worth of pocket money or three paper rounds or whatever it was that you were doing to earn money at the time so you you had a limited amount of stuff you could get hold of and listen to Mm. outside of listening to the radio and I got into XFM in my mid-teens did you ever listen to XFM or John Peel or anything like that or were you more into the finding records and listening to them with friends 
Yeah, the second one, I think. I did grow up, luckily, for not a musical household. My dad was very keen on making sure that we listened to the chart show and we watched Top of the Pops. And obviously, there's very mainstream things, but it always meant that I knew what was going on at the time rather than having parents who maybe just listen to their style of music and only so I actually have a complete gap really when it comes to 60s and 70s music because my parents either made us listen to what was in the charts or they listened to classical music so so many of that kind of period is lost to me but no it was very much this is what we wore going down to HMV I grew up in Oxford which has a great musical subculture or certainly did at the time so watching members of Radiohead and Supergrass wandering around having these bands come and play in the local HMV and reading the fanzines and reading album covers to see what your artists listened to themselves those were the ways that I found music. You mentioned Top of the Pops we haven't really talked about that on the podcast but Can you imagine trying to explain to a teenager of today that you get together with your family, same time every week, sit down in front of the TV for half an hour, watch what was in the charts, what was hitting number one, and you sit there waiting for that top 10 countdown to get to who was number one? Oh, it was so exciting. Yep. And every Sunday and having your tape recorder ready so you could catch your favourite song. <laughs> yes. Yes. And hope they didn't cut it off early or talk too much over it, sections of it. Insane, but kind of charming. Oh, I remember doing the recording off the radio thing where you'd be desperately trying to catch the start of the song and you'd have mixtapes where you were missing like the first 10 <laughs> seconds of the song because you you just couldn't manage to catch that song on the radio at any point in time oh in mixtapes which I'm sure you must have talked about a lot that's how I learned a lot about music so when my now brother-in-law but uh, my sister and her husband have been together for a long time so again when I was sort of at this age where he found out that I liked Nirvana and was getting into grunge, she then made me a little sample mixtape of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and all of those types of bands. So, okay, we go away and you listen to that. And then, like you say, you choose which one you might buy and then you save up your pennies for that album and then you listen to it obsessively until you know every single lyric and all of the backstories behind it and you share it with your friends and... It's just a really lovely thing to have been able to do, I think. We haven't really talked much about mixtapes. We've talked about compilations. So as an indie kid, we might do these as albums at some point, but Shine 5 and Shine 7 were such massive influences on my taste because they were 20, maybe 30 songs of just Britpop after Britpop after indie hit after Britpop. Like, I go back and listen to them now, and I know all of the lyrics, even to the really random menswear tracks that weren't (laughs) the one track that everyone knows for example Mm. and so probably mixtapes less so I'd have friends who would record bootleg tape copies of albums that you then go and listen to and if you wanted to listen to it at decent quality you then went and bought it because the mixtapes were copies of copies of copies a lot of the time it's it's just a totally different world isn't it yes indeed so we've talked a couple of the songs on live through this are there are there any others that you particularly were drawn to or that have become more influential the longer you've listened yeah absolutely for sure I mean there's so many good ones on this Jennifer's body is so creepy and fascinating I think I'm almost disappointed that it's not really based on anything there are cases the part where she specifically talks about keeps her 
in a box under the bed, alive, but just barely. I'm paraphrasing the lyrics here where I think everyone's just like, which crime are you talking about? And I think actually it's kind of a, a mishmash of lots of things. I think she's been very clear. If I remember from the articles I've read of saying it's not really based on one particular thing. That very much speaks to me, A, because it's intriguing, and B, it's that bizarre fascination between... It's a weird way of explaining this. I don't know if boys grow up with this or not. You can tell me. Almost all crime and serial killer stories in the majority focus around hideous things happening to women. Of course, other vulnerable groups too, but women tend to feature in the majority. And it's both a revulsion and a fascination because you're so overly exposed to it. Um, it's almost like you're being trolled, it gets to the extent, um, because it's just this kind of fear that you grow up with, that something awful will happen to you. You end up having a kind of odd obsession with it at the same time. And that song kind of taps into that. And I wonder if she went down that rabbit warren as well. I've never had a big serial killer fascination thing. There are bits and pieces that I've paid attention to, but the vast majority of the time, it's not something that's ever been massively on my radar, but I do have male friends who are interested in it and not from a kind of, I worry that they might turn into that serial killer, but purely because they're fascinated in the, the human psychology and the motives and the methods and all that kind of stuff, almost from a technical crime perspective, more than a Ooh, creepy weird person. I can relate to this type vibe. What's fascinating about Jennifer's body is the difference in angle and almost even creepier nature of it compared to Polly on never mind but just the the difference they both had these serial killer kidnapper type songs and obviously this was a shared obsession because you know you're, you're living with someone you're going to talk about these things and then they end up creeping into your songs but hers is almost more brutal and more terrifying than his take on it which is written from the serial killer perspective yeah, I find it with a lot of her songs, a lot of the songs on this album, one thing I really like is that the song is one thing and then it becomes something else entirely, lyrically, musically and vocally as well. And then it almost flips back into another thing. And those kind of shifting senses of perspective are both magical and unsettling. And that plays a part in that song as well for me the rage in her voice and then there's almost quite melodic core pieces of jennifer's party <laughs> and then you've got the just relax just relax just go to sleep yeah it's a it's a crime that she's giving you fragmented parts of yeah and it's like you say really unnerving and very clever songwriting to be able to do that in a way that is creepy and jarring but also very listenable yes I think that's probably a lot of the magic of the whole album. What did you think of Miss World? I like Miss World. It's almost a bit prescient because the media's obsession with her. I mean, obviously, there was a media obsession with her, which probably drove some of the lyrics behind it. But mm. it's the continued media obsession for decades afterwards. Like The way that feeds into that narrative is fascinating. Yeah, it's a forerunner for Beyonce's Pretty Hurts, I think, in my mind. <laughs> I've been hearing this in the 90s again. The 90s is very much that period. And I went to an all-girls school when I was older of eating disorders, self-harm, this idea of kind of feminine perfection and beauty and achievement being undercut by these really, really dark behaviours and how these things spill out. Miss World is almost like a, a perfect anthem of how that was being expressed at the time. 
I really enjoy I'm the girl you know I lie and lie and lie it's interesting there's a lot of thematic stuff that goes on throughout this whole album of the rage and struggling with the rage and struggling with societal expectations versus what she really wants from her life and all of that stuff swirling together is it's just a really good album I mean it was I think it was um, Rolling Stone that put it at number four on their top 50 grunge albums of all time. And that should tell you everything you need to know. If you've never listened to this album and you like a bit of grunge, why the hell haven't you listened to this album? Yeah, obviously, I came to this album fairly early in my listening to grunge. In your experience, is it something that fans of grunge listen to in the same level that they would listen to Nevermind, for example, or kind of the big albums that everybody knows fans of grunge yes i think what the difference is is that people who sort of got into grunge but didn't really get deeply into it probably never bothered with it they'll have stuck with Nevermind and 10 but they're probably the same people that wouldn't have listened to bleach for example because they'd have probably gone yeah it's a bit raucous for me <laughs> it's very noisy yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> Okay, one of the other questions we always delve into on the podcast is, have you ever seen them live or her live? No, I am just scanning my memory banks. <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever seen any of the major players from the grunge scene, some for more obvious reasons than others. I don't know that Hole have really taught a whole lot in the last 10, 15 years. Now, I'm going to be controversial and say I'm not actually a fan of going to see music live a lot of the time. <laughs> That's probably not what. <laughs> you, you and I are going to disagree on that one. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I don't know. I could just listen to it in the comfort of my home and the sound quality will be better. <laughs> I can pee when I want. I have to stand up the whole time. There isn't some giant guy next to me jumping around like an idiot. <laughs> Yeah, there are definitely downsides to the live music experience. But from my perspective, as someone who goes to multiple festivals every year, lots and lots of gigs, there is nothing quite like the energy you get from someone doing something creative live and in the moment where if they fuck up, everyone hears it. Everyone sees it. You know, you all know it's happened. There's an impressiveness with the skill of it, but there's also the energy that you get from it. And and I, I totally understand when people are like, oh, but it's smelly and hot and I get beer spilt on me and people are idiots because I get frustrated by all those things as well. There are certain things, things like you get a really beautiful, quiet song and there's some fucking idiot three people behind you who insist on chatting to their mate loudly all the way through it <laughs> with everyone staring at him and no awareness that they're pissing off everyone within hearing range and I swear they dot themselves around the crowd so it doesn't really matter where you stand in the crowd you're near enough to one that they'll spoil your experience yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like music I just don't like people <laughs> yeah that, that does become an issue when you want to go to gigs all right Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing that. As always, those of you who are listening can find us at I Might Be Wrong UK. We are on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're now on Instagram as well. If you want to find us there, where can people find you if they want to find out more about you and what you get up to? You can find us at houseofverless.co.uk or on all social media, but probably our Instagram is the one we most use at 
H-O-B Tempest Rose. Come and find and, me there. And in terms of obviously with performing arts not being an easy thing to do right now, are you up to things at the moment? Yes, we've been working hard on trying to create a House of Burlesque experience outside of our live shows when it comes to teaching and things like podcasting and kind of delving into burlesque history. So definitely we've got some exciting announcements coming up for how you can connect with us whilst we're unable to do live performances. So that will be announced on our Instagram. So do check that out. And if you go and check that Instagram, you'll find all sorts of fun live and IGTV things that you can go and watch as well. I fully recommend it. I've been joining Gin Salt on Tuesday, late afternoon, early evenings, which is Tempest and a wonderful performer called Lolo Brow, where they discuss the many wonderful, interesting aspects of being a performer, producer, icon in the world of London burlesque. Yeah, it's like this, but with nipple tassels. (laughs) (laughs) And much better makeup than I could ever manage. (laughs) Well, we have to find some way to wear it. (laughs) Which Which is why we do an audio podcast, for I might be wrong. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I'm certain we're going to have Tempest back on in the future episode or two, so you will hear more from her. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun to delve into why this album was so important and actually why it did go on to be quite a big influence on the rest of my career. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.